baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Final hour here. Toby Altizer with you up until 2 o'clock. Until we turn it over to Charlie and Dave in the bottom of the third inning between the Nationals and the Cardinals and their first game of the series that got suspended last night. We'll take you up until then. I want to continue talking about the NBA. You want to tweet at me at Toby underscore Altizer. Same thing on Instagram. You want to give us a call 800-636-1067 on the MGM National Harbor listener lines. Wanted to get into this in-season tournament in just a second, but before we do that, let's get out to Mark in Springfield. Mark, what's going on, man? Good afternoon. Uh, first time I've heard you, but uh, I think you're doing a great job. Appreciate it, Mark. I, I agree with you 100% about Draymond Green. I mean, he's an Asian veteran. He'll give you a couple of more years. Uh, I think they made a mistake. I'd have kept, uh, I'd have kept Jordan for his offense. Where are they going to find somebody – uh, to replace Thompson. He didn't look the same as he did the last couple of years, and I think he's uh, his injuries are catching up to him. Uh, I think he keep Jordan for his offense. He also plays some defense, which is what the Wizards said. You know, he plays good offense and can play some defense. I'd have kept him. I'd have let Draymond go, and for that $100 million, they probably could have found an aging veteran who was playing a lot more defense and not worried about his offense. I think two or three years down the road, I think they're going to be uh, missing his offense. And there's nobody out there that strikes me as a free agent that, or even as a you know young up-and-comer that they're going to be able to sign. So I agree 100%. Mark, appreciate the phone call, man. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with the Warriors is you lose a guy in Jordan Poole that looked like he was a clear successor to Steph Curry. And Steph is still on the top of his game, so everything's going all right with him. So I don't know that he even had to be a successor to Steph Curry. He could have maybe been more of a successor to – Play Thompson in a way that helped Steph because when you think about them at their best, the prime years of the Golden State Warriors, not like Clay Thompson was handling the ball. You know, he would have games where he'd dribble the ball 10 times, eight times total, sometimes even less than that, and still give you 25. And that's because he was just a spot up shooter, a guy that you get the ball to, he'd shoot it. I think as Steph gets a little bit older, maybe you can get Steph more into a role where he doesn't have to always have the ball in his hands and work a little bit more off the ball, and Jordan Poole could have been maybe the guy more facilitating and just let them kind of rotate between point guard spots. I think that's something that they really could have looked at. And yes, it's tough if you're the Golden State front office to move on from a core that won you championships, but you have to ultimately decide what you're going for. Are you going for more championships? Or are you going for keep everyone in town, Keep this as a Warriors legacy thing. Never let them wear another uniform. And it seems like that's what they're going for. If they really wanted to win more championships and that's the way that they went, I think they're mistaken and they made some mistakes. I, I, I just don't think they understand that at this point in their careers, those guys aren't going to win, especially in the Western Conference. If they were in the East, maybe. Maybe they can get past the Celtics and the Bucks and the Heat. Maybe. In the West, good luck. Not happening. I don't see them getting past the Lakers. I don't see them getting past the Nuggets. 
we'll see. I just don't see it. I, I don't think that... I think they made a mistake going with Draymond over Jordan Poole. So I agree. All right, I want to get into this in-season tournament thing. And it's just dumb to me. It really is. So I'm going to lay it out for you. First, this is kind of the details of what this in-season tournament is going to look like. So they're going to do a group play stage where they're going to have six groups of five teams. They're going to play each team in the group, so four total games, two home, two away. And then your record after that is going to determine how you end up getting into the knockout round. So the six teams that win the group, they automatically make it into the knockout rounds. There's two wild cards. The wild cards are the teams with the best group play record that didn't win their group. And then eventually you get to the knockout rounds there with those eight teams. The final four is held in Las Vegas, and the champion will win the inaugural NBA Cup. All games will count toward the regular season standings, except for the championship. The championship game stats won't count towards player season stats. Winning players will get, I believe this is rumored. I'm not, I didn't see this officially from the NBA, but winning players will get $500,000 each. And the championship will end up being an 83rd game for the two teams that are in it. So let me tell you why this is dumb. And there is a myriad of reasons why. One, can you imagine if LeBron James, Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, name your superstar, were to get hurt in the NBA Cup championship game? Seriously. Could you imagine? And they missed the playoffs because of it. Could you imagine? They no longer have a chance at the Larry O'Brien because they tried to win the stupid NBA Cup. Seriously. And that's a real possibility. It really is. And also think about this. Players have been playing fewer games than ever. They had to find a way to make it incentivized to play by making it so that you can't make an all-NBA team, you can't win an award, unless you play a minimum amount of games. I think it's like 67. So players are playing less than ever. You're going to force them now to play 67 games. Oh, and by the way, if you make it to the championship of this NBA Cup, you're going to play an extra game on top of that. What? If I, I thought the whole goal here was to consider even shortening the schedule. Now you're adding an extra game for two teams? Next, why should I care? As a fan, why should I care more about this than the regular season games? Seriously, why should I care? Well, they're playing for the NBA Cup. Who cares? What prestige does that have? Why do you turn the NBA playoffs on more than you do the regular season? Because they're playing for something. Oh, no, the Wizards got eliminated from the NBA Cup. They're still playing on Friday. <laughs> right? Like, they're still going to play another regular season game on Friday. Who cares? Oh, no, the Wizards got eliminated. Who cares? But if they get eliminated in the playoffs, it matters. Their season's done. They're playing for something. And a $500,000 check, if there is any sports league that is more driven by stars it's the NBA. It's driven by the stars. And so tell me why Giannis, why LeBron, why Steph Curry, why Nikola Jokic, all those guys, why should they care about a $500,000 check? I would care about $500,000. I think the guy at the end of the bench would care about $500,000. I think your rookie would care about $500,000. But why would LeBron... 
am I going to tune into an NBA championship game in the play-in tournament because a bunch of bench players are excited about getting a $500,000 check? No. If I wanted to watch a bunch of mid-basketball, I would turn on the NBA Summer League. And guess what I don't have on right now? The NBA Summer League. Want to know why? Because the stars aren't playing. When you watch a Lakers Summer League game, Anthony Davis isn't suiting up. So why do I want to watch? The hardcore fans are going to watch regardless. So if your argument is, well, this is good for the hardcore fans. A lot of moves, I'm sorry to say this, whether it's the NFL, the MLB, NBA, a lot of the moves that are made are not for the hardcore fans. You want to know why? Because the hardcore fan is going to watch regardless. The hardcore fan is going to be dialed in regardless of what you do. So the moves aren't made for them. This move was clearly made to say we're going to incentivize the regular season to the average fan. Woohoo, the NBA Cup. Why would I care about this? Why, if I'm a player, especially if I'm making a decent paycheck, think about the paychecks these guys got this offseason. We just talked about Draymond Green getting $100 million over four years. Jeremy Grant got $160 million. Cameron Johnson was getting $100 million. You think this dude cares about five hundred k? It'd be nice. Allow him to go buy some nice bling to wear into the stadium the next day. Sure. It'd be nice. Am I going to risk getting hurt over it? Probably not. Am I going to risk playing an extra regular season game for it? Probably not. Am I going to risk the possibility of injury so that I cannot compete for the ultimate prize, the thing that Jordan won six of, the one that Bill Russell won 11 of, the thing that Kobe won five of, so that I can win the first ever inaugural NBA Cup? No. Absolutely not. And you want to know why else it's dumb? Because they're trying to copy soccer. And I have nothing against soccer. I enjoy soccer. But it makes no sense. No sense. And I'll tell you why next here on The Fan. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back. 1067 The Fan. Team 980. Odyssey app. Toby Altizer with you up until 2 o'clock. We're going to hop in. 800-636-1067. On the MGM National Harbor Listener Lines. Or tweet me at Toby underscore Altizer. Again, I think this NBA in-season tournament is dumb. I just think it's dumb. Plenty of reasons why. Ross tweets at me, says, to be fair... Anthony Davis doesn't suit up that often in the regular season anyway. <laughs> it's a valid point. It's a valid point. But think about this. He brings up Anthony Davis. I brought him up a little bit earlier. Imagine Anthony Davis were to get hurt in that championship game, the 83rd game that doesn't count for stats, that doesn't count for the regular regular, regular standings, right? Imagine he gets hurt in that, 
and now he's out for the playoff run. So this in-season tournament is going to happen in November and December. So I understand that unless it's something major where he's probably going to have a season-ending injury, he could probably return. But what if it's something that lingers? What if he hurts his ankle and it lingers all season long and it flares up in the playoffs because now he's had to play more games? Or it just I don't see the appeal as a player for $500,000. I just don't. Do you get a guaranteed spot in the playoffs? No. What do you get out of this? Money? Okay. Cool if you're a bench guy. Cool if you're a rookie. Love that. Those guys are going to play hard. But if this is just going to turn into a bunch of reserves and rookies and other guys playing for this, that's not what I tune into the NBA for. When was the last time you watched an NBA commercial and they showed you Corey Kispert to promote a Wizards game? When was the last time that you saw an NBA game and they showed you Gabe Vincent to talk about a Heat game? You know, like, that's not who you tune in for. You tune in for Jimmy Butler. You tune in for the stars. Bradley Beal at the time when he was here. Those are the guys you tune in for. Don't tune in for the eighth guy on the bench. And the the top guys aren't going to care about a $500,000 check. The guys at the middle of the bench are. So before the break, I was talking about how they're trying to copy what soccer does. And you can clearly see this from their tournament style. And I think that soccer has a cool thing going over in Europe. So I'll explain it to you because I'm sure a lot of you don't understand why it's like soccer. And I've explained why this is nothing like soccer, what they're trying to do. So in European soccer, there is relegation. So there's leagues, multiple leagues. Think about the NBA then there'd be like a G League. Then there'd be like a league below that. And keep going down until you get to the low, low levels of professional basketball in this country. So what happens if you don't finish in the top? If you finish in the bottom three of the league, I believe it's the bottom three. You can correct me if I'm wrong on Twitter or call in. You go down a league. So say the Wizards were a bottom three team in the league last season. They would get sent to the G League, and the top three teams in the G League would come up to the NBA. That's how it works. That's how relegation works in European soccer, okay? So, one, there's no relegation, so we don't have to worry about that. Two, these games don't count for multiple leagues. So, we'll use Manchester Manchester United as an example. So, when they play in an FA Cup game, it doesn't count for their Premier League standings. When they play in a Premier League game, it doesn't count for their FA Cup standings. All right, but these in-season tournament games are going to count for your regular standings. Stupid. Stupid. So let's go through the example here of Manchester United. So they play in the English Premier League, which would be the top league in England. So like the NBA, okay? So they play in the NBA, the highest level of pro soccer in England. All right, we got that. They play in the Champions League next year. So what is that? That'd be like, If the top couple teams, or if we took the Nuggets that won the NBA championship this year, and they played the winners of other leagues around the world. So they played, uh, did did Wembenyama's team win the championship in France? I don't know if they did, but say they did. They'd play them. They'd play the top team in England. They'd play the top team in Germany. That's how the Champions League works. Again, Champions League wins don't count toward Premier League wins. That's not how that works. They're separate. So that's how the NBA would be if they had the Nuggets play other winners from around the world. So again, the Champions League, the Premier League, 
Then they're in the FA Cup. The FA Cup is if the NBA played G League teams and other pro teams, all the way down to some random league that you've never heard of that plays at the rec center on Tuesday nights. All right? They'd play those teams. And so that'd be cool, right? If the Washington Wizards were playing some team from Prince George's County that you've never heard of, right? They get a chance to go up against the guys that they watch on TV. All right? You're a little... I'm from Herndon. Some Herndon professional basketball team is playing against the Washington Wizards. That'd be pretty cool. They're probably not going to win, but it'd be pretty cool. That's what that is. And that's why it's cool in English soccer, right? When you have some team that's been a town team since the 1800s is playing against the big clubs of Chelsea and Manchester City and Man U. That's cool. Top nine levels of clubs in soccer for the FA Cup. And then there's the Carabao Cup. That'd be if the NBA basically just played the G League teams. So not the Capital City Go-Go aren't part of the Wizards organization, but they're their own organization, and they play against teams in the NBA. So it'd be like if the Wizards were playing other G League teams. They might even go up against the Go-Go. That's what that would be like. So again, they're in four different leagues. Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup, Carabao Cup. And you want to know why that works? Because they're playing a different set of teams in every single one. I just laid out to you where they're playing, the different leagues. You want to know what the in-season tournament does? You want to know who they're playing? Oh, that's right. They're still playing the other 29 teams that they play every single year. Why should I care about the Wizards now playing the Magic in some random in-season tournament? Woohoo! We beat the Magic in an in-season pool play game. Tournament game. Woohoo! Who cares? Why should I care more about this random game in November than I do right now? So the NBA can try this. You know what? Credit to Adam Silver for trying something different. He realizes that the NBA needs something to incentivize the regular season. I get it. You know, and credit to them for trying something. I'm just telling you, you struck out. Because this is dumb. You're trying an idea of this English soccer. Because English soccer is cool in that way, right? Where... On the weekends, they're playing the Premier League. During the week, they're playing in the FA Cup. And they're playing against some small team that you've never heard of from some small village in England that has a population of 600. And this is their town team that plays in the city square that's been playing there since 1812. And it's awesome. They're not doing that. You know who the Wizards are going to match up with in the in-season tournament? The Dallas Mavericks. Just like they do in December of every year. Just like they do every single season. Oh, it's a cool matchup. They're going up against the Los Angeles Lakers. They're going up against the New York Knicks. Oh, really going out on a limb here. Going up against the Phoenix Suns. It's the same 29 teams you always face. This is no different than a regular season game. And the only thing that's different is you get a check at the end of it. And the check isn't even big enough for the stars to look at it and say, yeah, I'll play for that. You think Kevin Durant is getting up for $500,000? You think the Phoenix Suns are getting amped to win the NBA Cup? I don't. I just don't. It's a nice check. It's not a terrible idea, I guess. But in practicality, in practice, not going to work. It'll be fine. People are going to tune in. People are still going to watch it. And you know what? To be 100% honest, I'll watch it for the first year. Want to see what it's like. But it's nothing special. 
it's not going to accomplish what they're trying to do here. If anything, and I'm not in favor of this. We were just talking about this in the break. They should shorten the season, if anything, and I'm not in favor of that. But if anything, that's what you're looking for. Players are playing less games, and yet you're adding an extra game for the championship teams. You're adding this extra bit. I, I guess if you look at it from a different perspective, you could say that you're adding a little extra cash to a couple of games in the middle of November and December that'll add intrigue for players. Okay, sure. But again, it's just a regular season game. That's how I think a lot of the stars are going to look at it. So if you're a fan and you're thinking, okay, this might be a big deal, all right. I could see maybe some fans getting excited about this. But I don't think that your stars, the Wizards, I don't think have stars. So it's not a big deal. But think about if you're the Lakers and you're going into this with LeBron and Anthony Davis and AD's a little banged up like he always is. And you're going into these group play games or you're going into the knockout stages. Are you pushing them out there more than you are a regular season game? Seriously. Are you going to try to push him a little harder than you would a regular season game? Playoff game, he's probably suiting up. No problem. But regular season game in November, December, eh, we'll give him an extra couple days to heal that ankle. We'll give him a couple extra days on that knee. Give him a couple extra days on that shoulder. But are you telling me now that this little bit of incentive, they're going to push him out there? Really? I'm not. If I'm an NBA team, I'm looking at this as no different than the regular season. And to be honest with you, I don't want to make the championship. Want to know why? I don't want to play an extra game. An extra game that for me as an executive doesn't matter. Think about this. Bob Myers just retired from the Golden State Warriors. He won, what, four championships? Maybe a couple more? I'm not sure. But with the Warriors, I think it was four, right? He's remembered for that. Think about if you won an NBA Cup. How many times are you going to mention that? Four-time NBA champion, three-time NBA Cup champion. No one cares. So why am I going to tell my players to get out there and care about it? Why am I going to go out there and risk injury, risk further hurting myself, hurting a player, hurting the team in the long run for something that doesn't matter? So maybe this adds intrigue in the fact that you're going to care about teams that aren't good. This is an opportunity for the Wizards to win something. So maybe we should be excited. Maybe we should be all on board. I'm just not. I, I'm not going to get excited to watch the Wizards against the Orlando Magic or some other terrible basketball team because they're getting up for it because $500,000 checks are going to bump up their payday a little bit, unlike the guys who actually play for basketball games that matter. That's kind of where I'm at. I, I think it's foolish. I think it's dumb. Credit to the NBA for trying something. You struck out, though. This isn't, this isn't as cool as you think it is. Going to take a break from basketball. Leading up to the Nationals game coming up at 2 o'clock when we turn it over to Charlie and Dave in the bottom of the third inning. I want to talk about this second half for the Nationals. They played, what, two and a half innings? Almost three full innings now of baseball in the second half? What are you looking for in this second half for the Nationals? We'll talk about that next year on The Fan. Welcome back here. 1067 The Fan, Team 980. Live and free on the Odyssey app. Toby Altizer with you up until 2 o'clock. So we give it over to Charlie and Dave. 
National Baseball. Bottom of the third, 3-2 count against Paul Goldschmidt. So, come in throwing strikes, or at least a strike. Because otherwise, you're walking a dude, and Arenado's coming to the plate with two on. So, better be ready coming out. I want to talk about the Nationals. What are you looking for in this second half? 800-636-1067 on the MGM National Harbor listener lines. 800-636-1067. You can tweet at me at Tilby underscore Altizer. Be on on Monday, and we'll talk maybe a little more about this Dylan Cruz pick and thoughts on that. Ranked number four, according to Baseball America and their prospect rankings, hasn't even taken the field yet. And number four, the Nationals have two top five prospects. Pretty awesome to hear. Pretty awesome. But what do you expect or what do you want to see in the second half? So there's a couple of things. The first thing that immediately pops up in my head, looking at the time of the year, looking at the trade deadline coming up, is who do the Nationals trade? Who are the guys that the Nats are going to move on from? Because that's going to dictate some of what you look for in the second half, too. If you move on from Jamer Candelario, who's playing third base? Is it Jake Alou? Is he going to be able to be a major league third baseman? We'll see. Does that mean moving someone over there? Can you get Carter Keyboom going and get him again? Like, What's the plan going to be at third base if you move on from Jamer Candelario? But who do the Nats decide that they're going to trade at the trade deadline? I think the number one guy, the top of the list. I think that there's almost no chance unless he gets hurt, which he is a little bit injured right now with a thumb injury, a bruised thumb. It's Jamer Candelario. That guy's getting traded. And it's nothing against Jamer, but these are the kind of moves that Mike Rizzo has made over the last couple of years that, when they all go according to plan, result in players getting traded at the trade deadline. Sign a guy to a one-year deal that has some upside, that could maybe help a contender down the road, let him play for the Nationals the entire first half, showcase what he can do, and then trade him at the deadline. That's what you tried to do with Nelson Cruz. It didn't work. He never turned out to be the hitter that you could trade. But that's what happened with Jamer Candelario. And Jamer, you could make the argument, has been the most valuable third baseman in the National League in the first half. That's how good he was. And when Jamer came to the Nationals, the thought process was, this is going to be a doubles machine. This is going to be a guy that hits a lot of ringing doubles in the gap, but he's not going to hit too, too many home runs. He'll be solid at the plate. He'll give you some power, but mostly a doubles machine. And he's going to be known exclusively for his bat. His defense, if he gives you anything, will be an added bonus. But not only has he played adequate defense, he has played spectacular gold glove caliber defense at third base this season. And so I think that increases the suitors for his services even more. Because throughout his time as a major leaguer, you've thought of him as a good bat. Not a great bat, but I would say above average. At times, he'll have slumps where he struggles a bit, but for the most part, throughout his career, he's been an above average bat. And so you thought that someone might trade for him in that scenario that maybe they want a guy off the bench Maybe they want a guy over at third base that can give them something or somewhere on the corner in the infield. DH, maybe. But now that he has that glove at third base, that's good, to go along with the still good offense, a team might look at that and say, man, our third base is not giving us the kind of play that we need in terms of defense. Let's bring in Jamer. He'll give us a good bat that we can bat a little lower in the order than what the Nationals are. I don't think he's going to be batting third for some team that tr trades for him, a contender. But I can trade for Jamer Candelario, not just get a bat, but also get a solid glove. And that's something that I don't think the Nationals thought was going to happen. 
I don't think that the glove was going to come into consideration at all when that came to the trade deadline when they signed him. But it has. He's been spectacular. So I think the number one guy for sure, you can probably already start preparing for some goodbyes, Jamer Candelario. A guy that I don't think they should trade, and I've laid this out before. We'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. If they got a offer that they couldn't say no to, I wouldn't mind trading this guy. If they got a top 100 prospect that you're pretty excited about, fine. But if you're just trading this guy for the sake of trading him, I think that'd be a mistake. And that's Lane Thomas. I think Lane Thomas, realistically, could be a part of the future of this baseball team. Not the long-term future in terms of six and seven years down the road, but I think he can be a part of the short-term future two and three years down the road. He's under contract for two more seasons after this. You've got more control, arbitration years. I think that you could realistically look to maybe buy out that arbitration and pay him a little bit extra and keep him around for maybe a year or two after that, maybe even three. He'd be early 30s at that point. But I think he's found something at the plate this year that's allowed him to take that next step. And I think at worst with Lane Thomas, and I thought this going into the year before he really took that step forward, I think he's a fourth outfielder. I think he's a good fourth outfielder. I'm fine with him being that fourth guy that you bring in, the old Michael A. Taylors of the world, where I don't need him to play every day, but occasionally fill in for some guys. If you need to give a guy a day off, here he comes. That's the kind of thing that I think Lane Thomas could do right now on a decent ball club. And he's shown so much improvement this season. I don't know that it's sustainable, but I still think that he's found something. The way that him and Davey have talked about his approach at the plate, looking fastball, reacting to off-speed, I really think that he has found something that will allow him to continue to play well. Now, the streak that he's been on basically over the last two months and talking about May and June and then leading into July was one of the best hitters in the National League. You could argue that he was just as good as Ronald Acuna in a lot of areas. And that's something that he's not going to be able to to sustain. Like, he's not Acuna. We understand that. But I think he's found something to limit the stretches of down, bad, slumps. I think he's found something. That was always something that we saw with Lane Thomas and his time here in D.C. It was good when he was good. And when he was good, he was really good. But when he was bad, it might last for a while, and it was bad. I think he might have found something to limit the down stretches. If you can just keep the up stretches going a little longer or limit the down stretches, I think he's a good fourth outfielder. So I think they keep him around. A couple more guys, Hunter Harvey and Kyle Finnegan. Be interested to see if they'd even consider moving both, considering they are really the two guys that you trust in that bullpen, maybe Carl Edwards. If he comes off the injury list, you could consider moving him. But I think those guys in the bullpen, they're nice pieces. They really are. I think some of the guys have potential to be, I would say, good arms. I wouldn't say great. But I don't see Harvey or Finnegan or Carl Edwards at this point in his career as arms that are going to help you on the eighth and ninth inning on a winning ball club. Too inconsistent and just at times lose the strike zone I just don't feel confident with them. So if you can get something for those guys, I'm totally fine moving them. I don't know that you can move all of them because at some point you have to think about your own ball club and fielding a big league ball club that competes. But I think you could realistically look at moving one or two of those guys and turning either Harvey or Finnegan into your primary closer and just sticking with that and moving the other guy. I think that's something you could look at. 
All right, we're going to take a break here. Last segment, I want to talk about some more things that I'm looking for in the second half for the Nationals. I want to talk about Abrams, Manessis. Also got to get into Gore and Gray. We'll do all that next here on The Fan. Final segment here before we turn it over to Charlie and Dave in the middle of the third inning. Talking about the Nationals, what are you looking for in the second half? Tweet at me at Toby underscore Altizer if you want to do so. A couple things I'm looking at. C.J. Abrams in the leadoff spot. We won't count what he did in his one at-bat yesterday. So going into the game yesterday, the game that will be continuing here in just 20 minutes or so, he spent three games in the leadoff spot against Texas. He was 6-for-12 with a run scored, an RBI, a walk, one strikeout, and three stolen bases. I like those numbers. I like those numbers a lot. And I like the fact that he's stealing bags. And I think with CJ challenging him, putting him in that leadoff spot, has given him something extra to take ownership of. So after the game on Saturday, I was in the clubhouse, asked Davey about that. And he said, yeah, I brought CJ in, brought him into the office, challenged him, said, I think that you should be a leadoff hitter. Here's what it entails. Here's what you need to do and go do it. And I think he did that in that Texas series. And I think that's what you're going to look for in this entire second half now. I think they're going to leave him up there unless they have to move him out of the way to somewhere else. I think they're going to leave him in the leadoff spot to let him continue to develop. And just the way that CJ is, nothing against him. He's got a demeanor that's kind of aloof at times. Seems like he's, I wouldn't say lackadaisical, but that's kind of how he is. Like, I'm not saying that he doesn't care or any of that. I'm not trying to say any of that, but that's just kind of how he is. Nice guy, but he's just kind of aloof at times. Free and easy, carefree. I wonder if, with his personality, if he just needs a challenge sometimes. Davey to come in and say, hey, man, this is what we need you for. Do this. And challenging him by putting him in the leadoff spot, I think has given him some ownership over something. When you're in the 8-9 and nine hole every single night, not to say that he's not trying to develop, but he probably doesn't feel like he's contributing to the baseball team as much as he could. And so he's maybe not... Uh, he's just not as challenged, right? He's not taking ownership of that. No baseball player looks at the nine hole and gets excited. You know, that's that's not where they want to be. They want to be somewhere in the top of the order. And I think putting him in that leadoff spot, he looks at it and says, I can take ownership of this. I can make this mine. And if we're being honest with what CJ has been throughout his career, the storyline last year was he was a soft-hitting shortstop. And this year, he hasn't necessarily improved that a ton. He's hit for some more power. But he's still, average exit velocity still not that high. If we look it up on Baseball Savant, I'll get you those numbers in just a second. But it's not like it's improved drastically. He's been better, but it's not like it's anything crazy. But I think he needs to try to steal more bags. Like, if you're just going to be a singles hitter, that's fine. But I need you to do one of two things. I need you to either be a speed guy or I need you to be an average guy. And I don't know that I ever see him being Luis Arise. The Marlins are fine with Luis Arise because he's batting 400. 380. They're fine with him hitting singles every time because that's what he's hitting. I don't know that I see CJ doing that. Not any people in the majors are. But, you know, if, if he could get up to 280, 290, you could live with it. But realistically, let's say he stays around 260. I can live with 260 if you steal 40 bags. This season, his 
hard hit percentage is in the 24th percentile. His average ex- exit velocity is in the 12th percentile. His max exit velo is in the 82nd percentile. So maybe it gives you some hope that he can hit the ball hard. He's just not doing it consistently. But either way, his velo off the bat isn't elite by any means. So if that's going to be the case, steal some more bags. And three stolen bags against Texas in three games, that's what you want to see. Turn your singles, turn your walks into doubles. That's what we want. And if that can be your leadoff hitter, we'll live with that. See some pitches and get on base and steal bags. And that can be a tone setter. That can be a real big thing for an offense. I like that. Another thing I want to watch in terms of the bats, is Joey Manessis going to continue to have this power? Because where has it been? Seriously, where did it go? Last year, he was hitting for power and playing at an MVP-type level for that last stretch of the year when he came up for the Nationals. And then even in the World Baseball Classic, the guy was still hitting home runs. And then through the first 80 games of the season, Manessis had hit two home runs. And then right before the All-Star break, final series, he found something. Four homers in three games. Can he continue to do that? Because if he can, I think he could be a realistic trade ship in the offseason. If he could continue it into next season, maybe the following trade deadline. I don't think that a team wants a guy that's not hitting for power. And we'll see. Maybe if he were to continue to hit some home runs over the next couple of weeks, some team would consider trading for him at this deadline. I don't think so, but maybe. But can Joey continue to hit for power? That'll be a big thing for this offense because this offense really lacks that. He was supposed to be the power hitter in this lineup. If he can do that, I think it improves the, the lineup drastically. A couple things on pitching before we turn it over to Charlie and Dave in just a couple of minutes. Mackenzie Gore, how are the Nationals going to deal with his innings? How are they going to handle him? So his career high in innings pitched in the minors and majors is 101, and that was back in 2019. Last season, he pitched 87. In 2021, he pitched 50 and a third. In 2020, he didn't pitch because he didn't play for the Major League Ball Club, no minor league baseball. I'm sure he was with their team, but he I don't, I, he didn't pitch, all right? So I don't ha- know how much he pitched in terms of sim games and all that stuff. But this season, 89 and two-thirds innings pitched. So essentially, in the next four, five, six starts, he's going to pass what he did all of his career in terms of innings pitched. He's already passed what he did last season. Again, 101 is his career high in 2019. He's just under 90 right now. So in the next, really, three starts, probably, assuming he goes five each of the next three starts, he's going past that. So I would think that they're going to try to skip some of his starts. How does he bounce back from that? We've already seen that they don't have him lined up to pitch in this Cardinal series. It's not because they don't think he's a top three pitcher on this team. It's because they're trying to limit his innings. So how do they limit his innings? And then lastly, before we turn it over to Charlie and Dave, can JoJo continue his good play? All-star for the Nationals. It was awesome to see him out there in Seattle. Worked a 1-2-3 when he was out there in Seattle. But can he continue it? So just looking at some of the expected numbers. I know some of you might be older fans and just look at it and say, man, just give me what the real numbers are. But when you look at the expected numbers, you can take both with a grain of salt and say, all right, Maybe he's getting some good luck. Maybe he's found something. Who knows? But the peripherals, at least the the stat cast stuff, doesn't necessarily love what JoJo's done so far this year. So for comparison, last year his ERA was a 503 for the season. His expected ERA was a 425. This season, so far in the first half, 
a 341 ERA. His expected ERA this season, actually higher than last year's at 444. So what are some reasons that maybe he's found a way to get actual results as opposed to be a stat cast darling? Well, one, his ground ball rate is up 9%. Last season, 34%. This year, 43%. His barrel rate is down almost 3%, which is a big deal when you think about the numbers. 10.7% last year, down to 7.8% this year. And the big thing for JoJo, the ground ball rate up, which means the launch angle is down. Last year gave up the most homers in the majors. This year, his launch angle has gone from 19.7 to 13.5. He's really helped that keep the ball in the ballpark. And the big difference, honestly, if you look at just the noticeable difference in the way he's pitched, he's thrown the four-seamer less and less. Last season, he threw the four-seamer 39% of the time. This year, 23%, down 16%, basically, and how many times he throws the four-seam fastball, which is his worst pitch. Last year, it had a run value of 21, minus 21. This year, it's only minus one. So it's made a big difference for him to stop getting crushed on that four-seamer. Made a big difference for him. So we'll continue to watch that with JoJo. Can he continue to play as well as he has this season? The Nats all-star. That's going to do it for today. Appreciate my guy Connor for pushing all the buttons, making everything sound good behind the scenes. Appreciate you guys listening in. I believe I'll be back in again on Monday leading up to Nationals baseball. But for Connor, I'm Toby Altizer saying thanks for listening. We'll turn it over now to Nationals and Cardinals resuming in the bottom of the third inning. Nats cards, Charlie and Dave, next. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 